Hey, I am excited to dig in tonight to Proverbs 31. So go ahead and turn to Proverbs 31. It is traditionally known as the Proverbs 31 woman. That's how the chapter is referred to, much like 1 Corinthians 13 is referred to as uh, the, the love chapter. However, this chapter is incredibly pointed towards men, and then it is pointed strongly, strongly towards women. And so, since the majority of the chapter is towards women, I'm going to talk to you ladies for the majority of the time, but we are going to start talking to the men. So, let me, uh, let me read a few verses. I'm going to pray for us, and we will jump in here. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, O oh my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Don't give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. It's not for kings, O oh Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed. And they pervert all the rights of the afflicted. No, you give strong drink to the one who's perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Look forward in the chapter to verse 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Father, would you speak to us through really a classic biblical chapter? Lord, would you show us men in the room these two traits that are so clear in here that all of us need to embrace? And Lord, would you show the ladies in the room the two traits that are so clearly to be embraced? by a godly woman. Lord, would you convict where you need to convict? Move in our lives and in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So, let's go to the surveys that I had you fill out today. There must not have been a lot going on at work because you jumped on those, like, really, really strongly. Um, so, let's take a look at the very first one here. Uh, anxiety. Do you struggle with it often? I've I was not drinking this morning when I wrote this question. I just typed and retyped, and I did not have my glasses on, which I am willing my eye to be healed. It's not working. All right. And uh, anyway, so the majority of you, almost one and a half times, said the struggle is real. I'm an anxious person. And so I would think there's a bunch of you in this room that would say, you know what? If I had to pick, I would be more in the anxious category. There are some of you that are like, oh, no, no, like, it's not that I have to pick. It's that I am in that category. And some of you are just like the envy of the dance. Like, we all want to be you because you're like, 
Oh, I just chose not to worry three years ago. I remember exactly where I was. <laughs> like, like what's, how, how is that you? How is that possible? But there are, some of you, that's you. You're just like, no, no, why worry about it? You can't do anything about it. And you're the envy. But this chapter actually speaks to the idea of anxiety. And so we're going to look at that. Um, past relationships, that was the next one. And then I said to read your choices carefully as this is a guy-girl poll. And the, the majority, guys and girls, said in regard to past relationships that they've helped you live and learn and you're ready for the future. Uh, and then, again, all, not quite half the guys who answered this, but about half the girls said, no, as far as past relationships goes, like, I'm still kind of wounded. I'm still not trusting. And I hope you took the liberty to even extend that to some family relationships because relationships in general, close relationships affect your current and future relationships. So if you had an abusive father or a mother who wasn't around, uh, or likewise, if you had a great father and a mother who was always there, like that affects how you project other people are going to respond to you. And so if I was answering this one, I did answer this one, I guess. Uh, If I was answering it when I was your age, I probably would have said, I think I would have said I've lived and learned but it would not have been for a lack of scars. And I think it's okay to realize like scars, they kind of help tell a story. They're not a bad thing. It's okay if you've had some bumpy road relationships. It's okay if you've got some scars. It's okay if you've been beat up. It's okay if you've been suckered. It's okay if you've been the person who did some bad things to somebody. As long as you've come out of it in the grace of Christ, you've repented of those things, you've become wiser and you're like, hey, I've lived and learned. I'm ready to move on. I'm looking forward to the future. And that's where we want to get you. So we'll talk a little bit about that also. Let's go to the last one because this is the one that I'm not kidding you. I had text messages from people with incredibly strong opinions. There are a few people in the room. I'll try not to, I'll try not to make eye contact with too many. I had a few texts with all capital letters. You were screaming your text at me. There were some of you that were very upset about this one, and you feel very strongly that everyone should have answered exactly like you did. So here we go. Uh, close friendships with the opposite gender. Here's the key word right here, close. All right, close friendships. Um, like, for instance, uh, Abby. Abby right here. Abby Gibson on the front row. Raise your hand. Yeah, Abby. Abby and I don't know each other super well, but we're friends. We're not like best friends, but we're friends. Yeah, like there's nothing wrong with that. It's great. Now, if we became best friends, like best, best friends, do you think Heather would like love that? No. Why? Because it's weird. It would be weird if we were like, ah, me and Abby, we're going to go grab some dinner and hang out for a while. Good luck tonight, Heather. Like, that just doesn't work. I don't care if you're Christian, Muslim, pagan. Like, it just doesn't work. Like, that's just weird. So, this, I I should have, I wish I could know, like, if this is, like, blue or pink. Like, if one color more, like, one gender more than the other answered these. But... So close friends with the opposite gender are totally fine as long as both parties are clear about things. Now, like 130 of you answered yes to that. I just think, I think, I think it just doesn't happen very often in super close friendships. Um, 
can only go so far before they start getting weird, I would say yes, like 10 out of 10. How many of you, I just want you to raise your hand, this is where you need to be honest, and don't lie like you did the Braves, like you all care about this. All right, how many of you have had a friendship that went weird? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. All right. Yes. That's because they do. That's because like the closer you get to someone of the opposite gender, it ought to go somewhere. Like, like you, you strike a flint on like a pile of dry leaves, stuff happens. Like, like fire starts. So that's like, that's the way God designed it. You get really, really close to someone of the opposite sex, it probably should go somewhere. So, yeah, it will start getting weird. Um, I won't ask you which one you were in the relationship there, but some of you were like, I really thought that they really liked me, like I really liked them. And then you got, your, you got crushed. And some of you were like, when they told me, it was really gross. Like, it might as well have been my sister or brother telling me that they liked me and I kind of wanted to throw up and feel sad at the same time. Like, you know, like, because it's weird. All right. <clears throat> now, I, you see the one I marked. Let me tell you why I marked this. I did ministry with a group of people in college. There were five of us. We became really good friends. Me and a girl became like, not best buddies, but kind of best buddies. Me and my buddy Scott. And then this girl, and the three of us were like inseparable. And it was very pure. Like we were doing ministry. People were coming to Christ. It was like amazing. And then one day she said, Thomas, if there's anyone I've ever loved, it's you. And I was like, oh no, (laughs) this is really not good. And it was like, my mom told me, by the way, my mom was like, you know something's going to happen there. And I was like, not for me. She was like, you need to be careful. And I was like, nah, you don't get it. Like, because that's what every generation says about the other generation. Nah, you don't get it. She was totally right. And to this, to this day, I imagine it would still be weird for her to see me because of that really incredibly vulnerable moment. And if I would have had any wisdom about me at all in that regard, I could have stopped that from happening. And so I just think we have to be careful with that like super close guy-girl stuff. But it's a fine line. And this is where you get some scars because you're like, I like you hanging out. This is fun. You like me. We're hanging out. This is fun. And like, we like each other a lot. And then one of you likes the other one. The other person stops liking and you get a little scar. You just can't let it ruin your life. Like, that's just life. Friendships can be seasonal. So the last one, um, are okay if both parties are single. I kind of liken that to the first one, um, but here's the deal. Heather was really, I'm gonna pick on you, sweetheart, because you're not up here tonight, and so like you're kind of far away. Um, Wait, what'd you say? Oh yeah, she said, I can defend myself. Yes, she can. Heather had a good friend named Andy and another good friend named Nerd. And uh, like, I'm not making this up. Like, that's what they called each other. Like, they rode to high school together. They lived in the same neighborhood. Like, they went to college together. Like, they were just like lifelong friends. And then comes this guy. And I remember us having the conversation of like, like, how, how friendly are you guys going to stay? 
And it was a really hard conversation because I didn't want to be the jealous guy, but like we were getting closer than they were close, but we were getting closer to a much faster trajectory than they had gotten close. And like, it just kind of got a little bit weird. And so I would say, save yourself the heartache. Like be friends with, with girls, fellas, and, and girls, be friends with guys, but keep your closest friends in the same gender. And I think you're just gonna have less problems. I cannot show you a Bible verse. I genuinely looked for one. And I was like, I can't. But I think that's just good biblical brother and sisterhood in Christianity type wisdom. So let's take a look at this whole idea of men and women in the same chapter, all from King Lemuel's mother. Proverbs 31. She starts off, and it's an oracle. It's an oracle that his mother taught him. And she says, what are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? So clearly, this is her son. This is her son from marriage. Uh, this is her son that, that she loves. And here's what she sees in him. She sees him chasing after women. And so, fellas, rule number one of a godly man, and this is not one of the two traits, but of a godly man, we're not women chasers. We don't hound them. We don't call when they don't want us to call. We don't text when they don't want us to text. We're not like, oh, you again. Funny how I see you all the time. Like, that's like stalking. Like, we don't, we don't do that. We don't throw ourselves, we don't look in the mirror and think, there's 20 girls that like me right now. Because there's probably not, just letting you know. But... We, so King Lemuel was a guy who felt pretty good about himself, and he started chasing after women. And now, this kind of runs as a double-edged sword, because some of you guys are like, I do want to get married. So you kind of got to chase a little bit. Um, I like to deer hunt. The rut is happening, and uh, it's about to start happening. It's a great time of year. I told Heather yesterday, I said it's the best time of the whole year. And uh, because there will, some giant buck will probably walk out in front of me in the next two or three weeks just because he's like stupid about some girl. And he will probably not walk much more after that. Like he will, like he will have, like he'll, like it will be not great for him. But it's because he's like, just love drunk, like, I don't fall after her. Like, <clears throat> that was my drunk voice. Anyway, uh, and I just think this guy started to do this, and it, looks, it look, just looks ridiculous. And you start to lose perspective. And so this older, wiser woman, his mother, is saying, don't give your strength to women your ways to those who destroy kings. And so also, he's not chasing after girls in the synagogue. He's chasing after girls that are outside of even the faith. And so, fellas, that's a real clear deal. Like, if you're like, man, I'm on like four different dating apps and I can't find anybody, just delete them and look around the room. Like, he's chasing after the wrong women in the wrong way. And what it's doing is it's actually depleting him. He thinks it's going to give him life, and it's actually sucking the life out of him. So, then she says, 
Also, son, it is not, verse 4, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted, give strong drink to the, to the one who is perishing and wine to the one who is in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are, are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. If I had to sum this up in the two traits that should be found in every man of God, I would sum it up like this. The godly man needs to be self-controlled and compassionate. Every man who claims Christ needs to be self-controlled. That's the whole first part. He's not out getting drunk, and he's not chasing women and looking the fool. Like, he's self-controlled, and he knows God has put godly women around me. If I'm going to go after a woman because I want to have a serious relationship and I ultimately want to be married, I'm going to look within the church for that. I'm also going to pursue them rightly, and I'm going to be self-controlled. I'm not going to be the guy that's like pounding my seventh one in the seventh inning. Like, I'm going to like have some self-control. And you know what? Since I have all this extra energy because I'm not throwing it away on other stuff, I'm going to start looking for the little guy. And I'm going to look, I'm going to stand up for the people that can't stand for themselves. Now, ladies, I, I don't even have to ask you, what girl wouldn't want one of this, a guy like that? Oh, this guy, he's okay. He's like really self-controlled and like really into justice. Like, oh yeah, he loves God a lot and he's pursuing me right. Like, that's boring. No, like that's the guy. Like, this guy's awesome. He stands up for the little guy. He is self-controlled. He's not throwing himself after women. Like, that's it. And you know what? If you think about it, if, if you're a mom and your son's the king and you're only going to pick two things to tell him to be, this is, these are, are the, the, the pinnacle of what a godly man should be, self-controlled and the kind of guy that stands up for others. He's got compassion. By the way, with compassion, there's always justice. And so then we move on, and we're going to start to see in this next chapter, or this next part of the chapter, what are the two traits that should be found in every woman. And since this is a little longer, I'm going to take a little bit more time, and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to speak some firm words to some of you ladies in love, and then I'm going to say amen, I'm going to go out the back door, and y'all are going to go out that door, and we'll see each other in a few days when it's all settled down. So here we go. An excellent wife. Who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. He will have no lack of gain. By the way, this is still his mom talking. This is still his mom saying, let me tell you the kind of girl you ought to look for, son. Then she's going to paint this picture. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. 
He will have no lack of a gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ship of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night. She provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She even considers a field and she buys it with the fruit of her hands. She plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Let me pause right there. Ladies, this whole first part is dealing with one key trait. The woman of God that this picture is painting is strong. She's not like feminine this way or feminine that way or this or that. She's strong. In fact, it says here, what does it say in that verse? This is the reason I stopped here in verse 17. She dresses herself with strength. Ladies, every day, somebody comes to you offering a garment to put on. The, the whole world is offering you a garment to put on. And sometimes it's sensuality. Sometimes it's flirty. Sometimes it is power. Sometimes it is, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. The whole world is bringing you an outfit to put on. Some of your best friends, when you've had a bad day, have offered you an outfit to put on, and it is often neither this trait or the next one we're going to see in just a second. But this lady chooses to clothe herself with strength. She's, she's not putting other stuff on. She's like, no, no, no. I see all that. I had uh, like Bible eye for the Christian girl come to my house and he looked through my wardrobe and he was like, I see what you're wearing here. Let me, let me give you some new things here. That, like, do you like my reference there? Okay, never mind. Um, anyway, if you don't know, it's fine. But it, she, I mean, she's, she's choosing here of all the different things I can put on, I'm going to be a woman who puts on strength. And then we go on. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and she opens her hands to hold the spindle. She opens her hands to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her households are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when, she, when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. The two traits that should be found in every woman of God are strength and dignity. The two traits that every woman of God should have are strength and dignity. It's just that simple. And there's so many women, because you've been given so many different things to put on, you don't have any idea how in the world do I become a woman who has strength and who has dignity. And he goes, he continues this whole deal and he says, okay, she, uh, 
uh, she laughs at the time that's to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. There's that dignity. She looks well to the ways of her household. She does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blesser, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise him in the gates. Look, there's incredible power in a godly woman who is clothed with these two things, strength and dignity. But what happens is that life comes at you. This woman, she's not afraid of the snow, which is the season to come. She's not afraid of last year and what happened last year. She's not afraid for her maiden. She's not afraid for her husband. She's not afraid for her family. This lady is strong because there's a wisdom about her that goes right back to God. And this lady, when she's had no telling how many things she's had in her life. I mean, this was written like a long time ago. She could have had a miscarriage. She could have had this. She could have had that. She could have had all kinds of stuff happen. Her parents probably died when she was like 30. Like, I mean, this lady's gone through a lot of stuff. And instead, when she speaks, the, the teaching of kindness is on her lips. Ladies, there's not much in the world that offers you the clothing of dignity that enables you to speak kindness. Most of the clothing the world wants you to put on results in you speaking venom of other people. And so look, if these are the two traits, if for a man the trait is uh, is is, uh, what am I trying to think? Self-control and compassion. And for a woman, the trait is strength and dignity. Then you got to think, here's what Satan's going to do. He's going to attack it in a couple of ways. With guys, he's going to attack it with recklessness and exploitation. And with women, he's going to attack, attack it with uh, anxiety or weakness. And he's going to uh, He's, he's going to attack it. Will you go to that next slide there? Yeah, he's going to attack it with weakness, and he's going to attack it with shame, and I'm going to get into that, but let's go back to the guy slide real quick. Fellas, I want to just hit on this real quick. The, the idea of recklessness is one that we've talked about a bunch, but exploitation. One of the things that I see that Satan attacks Christian men is, is this idea of exploitation. For instance, several of you guys have said, I'm thinking about asking so-and-so out, but I'm just not sure if I like her. And I have asked the question, the follow-up question, well, are you sure she likes you? And so many times, the guys have said, I never thought about that. Now, fellas, that's a problem. That means that you have an exploitive view of women. You feel like you are in the driver's seat and the girl is property. The girl has a choice. She might not like you. I know that's like news, but like it's a real thing because they think stuff and they feel stuff. And so, fellas, I want you to really check yourself to see if there's any chance you have an exploitive view of women. And if you break up with a girl and you think, oh man, it's going to crush her, like she'll never be the same again, you also have an exploitive view of women because you think you have enough power over her that if you were to walk away, she would fall apart. I can almost guarantee you most of the girls in this room have had at some point a guy walk away and they're just fine. Like they drove here and everything. 
They like, they went to work today and stuff. They're doing great. So guys, I want you to be really careful that you don't fall into the trap of being exploited, but instead be compassionate. A compassionate person sees a person for who God's made them. And if anything, they come alongside to say, how do I help any injustice in their life? Now, let's go to the attacks on the women. Weakness and shame. If dignity and strength is what God wants for you ladies to be clothed with, the two ways that Satan is going to attack you most, I think, is in weakness and shame. You'll never get a guy like that. You don't deserve that. Maybe you didn't pray hard enough. Maybe you didn't do well enough. It failed last time. And all of a sudden, what could be a strength that God wants to use in your life is now this weakness. And you know what? You look around, and what you see is you see a really great girl get together with a really terrible guy. And it's because she lost faith that God is making her strong. And she has become weak. And it's usually something in the past that has caused her to believe the lie that God cannot make you strong. The Lord wants all of you women to be like this woman in Proverbs 31 who is able to look at the future and laugh at it. One of the biggest things that happens with this is anxiety. This is one of the biggest ways that Satan makes you weak. Look, back in January when I was working on a barn, I had no idea. Like if I was like, today I'm going to worry about a bunch of stuff. Let me make a list. I'd like to be really anxious today. It's going great. Let me just stop and make a list. It was a Friday, the last Friday in January of this year. I was at home in my house. I was doing this online class, um, a personality inventory assessment class. And, uh, and I was doing it on my Sabbath, so maybe that's why I got hurt later. But I, uh, I was doing this class. If I had stopped that class and I had said, whew, I'm feeling pretty strong. I would like to cripple myself a little bit. Let me create a list of things to worry about. Do you know what would have never been on that list? Never in a million years would I have written on there, how about at 1 p.m. today we have a nail go backwards and come and stick in your eye? Like, I would have never picked that. Like, I wouldn't have even thought to worry about that. So you know why this lady can laugh at the future? Because she knows the future's in God's hand, and no matter how much she frets over it, she can't fix it, she can't change it, she's just going to have to follow the Lord in it, and she's confident in the Lord in the future, not in her ability for the future. One of the biggest ways that Satan attacks you women is through anxiety. So many of you are so anxious to figure it all out. And what happened is somewhere along the line, you, you stopped trusting the Lord. Maybe you got hurt. Maybe you got beat up by another Christian. Maybe God didn't answer one of your prayers. I don't know what happened, but somewhere along the line, you got hit once, you got, tw you got hit twice, three times, and next thing you know, the enemy comes along and he's like, here's a jacket that'll fit you, and he clothes you, not with what the Lord wants, which is strength, but instead he clothes you with anxiety, which creates this incredible weakness. That's why there's so many women walking around that are just covered with anxiety, because they've, they've chosen, based on the circumstances in their life, to put it on. And I'm not saying at this point, if you've been wearing that cloak for 
10 or 15 years that you can just instantly pray it off. I think it may take some work. I think it may take some counseling. I think it may take a lot of conversations. I think it may take a lot of prayer. But I also do think the Lord can miraculously just take that off and put strength on. But so many of you women are just plagued with anxiety. And a guy's like, I don't know, I like her, but like, she like is just stressed all the time. I can't figure stuff out. And I don't know, like, and you know why? It's because anxiety causes you to step out of reality and into a make-believe world. And the Lord is calling us back to the real world. Philippians 4, 4 through 8 ought to be on every mirror in your house. Whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is of good repute, think on these things. The Lord is telling you, your mind's going to think about something. Let me give you a prescription of how to think, ladies. You don't want to be that lady that's crippled your whole life with anxiety when it's clear in Scripture you don't have to be. And again, I'm not saying this is a quick fix and a 35-minute message and it's like all over, but I'm saying there is hope for you. This woman should be every woman. The woman who is clothed with strength. One of the things I loved most about Heather was that she was like just kind of strong. And like the way I could tell she was strong was like she was fine if I wasn't there. And I was a little less fine if she wasn't there. And I was like, oh, she doesn't need me. Huh. And then I realized, oh, it's a really good thing. She doesn't need me. Like, she wants me to be there and she likes me a lot, but she's going to keep on trucking if I'm not around. And you know why? Because she began to trust the Lord about two years before we met. And as she trusted the Lord, she began to say, oh, the future is the future. Like, I don't know who the future, what the future is, but I know who's got the future all figured out. And so it's good enough. He's good enough for today, so he'll be good enough then. And the second thing that I think causes a lot of women in Achilles' heel, and this is the one I'm going to land the plane on, is shame. You slept with some guy, you got taken advantage of, your roommates were mean to you, uh, the, you did stuff you regret, you, I mean, the list, the list just goes on. It could, be, uh, it could be sexual, it could be relational, it could be career, it could be, uh, it could be friendships, there could be just a ton of things. But here's what happens to a shamed woman. Uh, it's like the guy wrote in the 1600s when he said, uh, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Here's, what ha- here's the reason he wrote that, because when a a woman puts, choose to, chooses to put on the cloak of shame instead of dignity, she becomes bitter. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned was written about a scorned woman who instead of saying, oh, I can let that person go, I can forgive that, I can forgive myself by the power of God through the blood of Jesus, and instead of those things, she let life happen to her and she was like, fine, you know what? The best anecdote for shame is just to become bitter towards everyone. And so what do you see? How, do you, how does a bitter woman present herself? She's powerful, she's aggressive, She's abusive. It's her way or the highway. Everybody stays at arm's length. That's one of the quickest ways you can find if a woman's bitter or not. Does everybody stay at arm's length except for the people that she forces in, tells them what to do, and then pushes them right back out? 
one of the worst things that can happen to a woman is for her to believe the lie that she is not worth a life of dignity. And shame is the best she can get, and so she better deal with it. That's how a woman becomes hardened and angry and keeps everybody at arm's length and it's always everybody else's fault because looking in the mirror scares her to death. You know, I want to show you um, a real sweet lady. We go to that, that slide of the picture. This is Heather's Aunt Jenny. She's probably the sweetest lady I know. Aunt Jenny passed away not too long ago. This is us with Daisy. If you've been to our house and you've seen Gatsby, this is skinny Daisy. And, uh, and now Daisy's not quite as skinny, but she's real sweet. And, uh, and now we have her little brother Gatsby. Uh, but Aunt Jenny would, uh, would let the pups stay at her house. Aunt Jenny lived in uh, Anniston, Alabama. And this is one year when we went over to see her. And uh, Aunt Jenny... <clears throat> I'm telling you, this lady was clothed with strength and dignity. She lived by herself until the day she died. She like, her house was like immaculate. If you showed up, if we showed up right now, if she was still alive, she'd be like, oh. She had like that raspy old lady sweet voice. She'd be like, you brought friends. Well, come on. Like, she'd be like, there's room. I don't know where, but we're going to find it. Like, and you know what? She would have gone and slept in her car. She just, she was this woman with strength, even in her frailty and dignity. Like, it was kind of like when you're around her, you're like, if anyone ever thought bad of Aunt Jenny, that person, well, I would hurt them. Because no one should ever think bad of Aunt Jenny because, like, there's nothing bad to think about her. Aunt Jenny did not have a great marriage. Aunt Jenny's family was kind of distanced from her in a lot of ways. Aunt Jenny's husband died years before this photo was taken. There's not much in her story, is what I'm saying, ladies, that should make Aunt Jenny who she was. But what made Aunt Jenny who she was? She knew the one who held the past. She knew the one who held the future. She knew the one who had saved her. And Aunt Jenny was so in love with Jesus and trusted him so much, she was able to let most things that would cripple people roll off her back. And not only roll off her back, but roll off her back in drops of grace that other people would walk in and couldn't help but track around. This was a lady who should have been anything but strong and dignified. We'll continue in a week or so, but let me just give you this. None of this can be resolved by anything but Christ. Jesus himself, he's the one who's self-controlled. He's the one who's compassionate. He's the one who is strong and dignified. He is the lamb who was self-controlled and silent before those who would kill him. 
He's the God who denied himself heaven and came to us on earth. He's the one who saw Zacchaeus in the tree and Mary through their demons. He was the only one who was calm in the storm. He was the restorer of Peter, the denier, and the liberator of women. Jesus is the only one who can make a male a man and a female a woman. In Matthew 1, in the lineage of Christ, there's five women listed. Of those five women, four of them, by all accounts, should have let their past define them, and they should not have been clothed with strength and dignity, but they should have been clothed in weakness and shame. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. If you do a little research, the Jews will tell you there's a little secret with Proverbs 31. They believe that King Lemuel is a pen name and that King Lemuel is Solomon and the woman is Bathsheba. The whole Proverbs 31 woman was written about a lady whose husband was ripped away from her. She was forced to be a bride of the king, gave birth to Solomon. She had every reason in life to look down the road and say, the past has been crappy and so the future will be too. But this woman found her hope in the Lord. And as a result, ends in the line of Christ and is clothed with strength and dignity. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you chose to redeem so many of the biblical characters' lives in such a powerful way. Lord, I thank you for Tamar, the way you redeemed her, and Rahab, the way you redeemed her, and Ruth, the way you redeemed her, and Bathsheba, the way you redeemed her, and Lord, I ask that you would give these women hope in loving Jesus more than anything else and their hope being in him more than anything else that they too each day can pick up by your grace the garments of strength and dignity. And Lord, help these men to wear the clothes of compassion and self-control. We lift this up in Christ's name, Father. Amen.